Benifer is back. Brad and Jen are friends again. And Paris Hilton is somehow still making headlines. 20 years later, we're living in the world that the 2000s tabloids created. On this series, I'm going to tell you the story of a decade of American life through the trash we love to consume. From Spotify and the Ringer Podcast Network, I'm Claire Malone, and this is Just Like Us, the tabloids that changed America. Listen on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just... Once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9, with available all-wheel drive that sets the pace and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that throws you one moment and available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Welcome to the Ringer NFL Draft Show. My name is Danny Heifetz. I am joined by Danny Kelly, Ben Solek, and Craig Rollback. We have a big announcement. This podcast feed was called the Ringer Fantasy Football Show. But for this offseason, we are renaming it the Ringer NFL Draft Show. Don't worry. You don't have to resubscribe or anything. Everything's the same. We just we got new name. We got new art. It's a new schedule. It's like a big makeover. But the fantasy show, it's not going away. It's just will we, we will be back as we get closer to the season. But now it is officially draft season mm. because DK's put up his first mock. You can go to the ringer.com, check out his first mock. It will make you happy. It'll make you mad. It'll probably just make you mad, but <laughs> mostly it's draft season. So our <laughs> schedule, we're going to be coming to you here at the Ringer NFL Draft Show feed every Tuesday, the rest of February, and every Tuesday and Thursday in March and April. Because again, it's draft season. Again, ringer, the ringer.com, check out DK's mock draft. It looks unbelievable it's not like any other mock draft you've seen i promise please go check out dk's mock draft and uh we we kept the email the same for, for even though we're the nfl draft show feed now our email is still ringer fantasy football gmail.com it's just too much to make a new email we're not doing <laughs> yeah, that we, so yeah, no. just email us the same there's, email all, there's the a hard limits on email accounts you just yeah, can't no. keep making them man no no also i want to i want to emphasize that we are going to be talking a little bit of fantasy so for people that are fantasy fans obviously if you're listening to the show you probably are we're going to talk a little bit of fantasy on the NFL Draft Show, too, so you don't you don't need to go anywhere. Definitely don't unsubscribe, because we're coming back after the draft is over, and we're going to be doing uh, fantasy stuff, too. So, yeah. Okay, so enough plugs, enough explaining what feed is what. Let's just get into it. DK did his first mock today, and we're just going to run through the highlights of the whole mock. And we're going to give out some awards. We're kind of getting, you know, because you read a mock and you have reactions, and we're going to focus on the reactions, mm -hmm. and we're going to have DK kind of explain himself. And I'm just going to start out. Explain yourself. With Justify? The... <laughs> I actually get a lot of tweets like that. Explain yourself. Explain yourself. You're like, that's what the little blurb was for. Anyway, 
I'm going to just start us off right here with the, um, we watched the Super Bowl award <laughs> because DK's with the first pick, the Jaguars select Evan Neal, the offensive tackle from Alabama. DK, is this just like you watched Joe Burrow get creamed and you're like, oh, the Jags probably shouldn't let Trevor Lawrence get creamed. Yeah, exactly. And the other thing, the, the piece of context here is this is not necessarily a subtweet for the Jamar Chase selection. We've talked that one to death, but I mean, he's getting, he got sacked, I think, seven times. Uh, and I'm talking about Burrow. He got sacked seven times in the Super Bowl. It was under pressure the entire second half. Their offense fell apart. I don't want that to happen to Trevor Lawrence. And since I don't see them picking a receiver at this spot, I think offensive tackle just makes a ton of sense for them. Um, you know, just in the long term, giving that, giving Trevor Lawrence that blindside protector, the guy that he can trust. Evan Neal is really good. He's huge. He's like 370 pounds, 360 pounds. Very good athlete. And the nice part is he can play multiple spots on the offensive line. So like, not that you would necessarily move him to the left, but if he wants to start out at guard or at right tackle and then eventually go to the left, that could be a, that could be a potential thing that they do. Um, I just think he has a lot of upside and it makes a lot of sense for them to pick him there based on his skill set. He's good against the run or he's good in the run game. He's good against pass rushers. He's just kind of got the complete package. Yeah, it's funny. So the Jags, the Jags team is terrible, right? And I think that the worst thing that they could do right now as a franchise is say like, hey, our favorite player is Evan Neal. But, oh, you know, like Walker Little played kind of well for us last year. He was second round pick and like, oh, you know what I mean? We can keep, I don't know, freaking Ben Bartsch. You remember, remember Ben Bartsch smoothie era, DK? <laughs> you remember Ben Bartsch smoothie? That was like 2019 Super Bowl. Uh, what? What are we talking about? I do remember oh, this, Ben Barch. Oh, the player with this disgusting smoothie with Gatorade yes, and bananas. He was at the offensive line, oh, and he, yeah. he he went like St. John's like a tight end, and then yeah. he ended up putting on like over a hundred pounds over four years. And they're like, "How'd you do it?" And he was like, "I poured Gatorade and nine raw eggs into a blender." Oh my god, <laughs> or something like that. I'm gonna was, look up that smoothie <laughs> is right he now. Still in the NFL or what? Yeah, like, he's the Jaguars. Well he's like a sixth offensive lineman for the Jaguars, right? I'm gonna look all it of up. this, all this to say <laughs> that Jacksonville's offensive line you could look at and say oh it's better than our defensive line let's focus on edge they should be in draft best player available especially with you know Doug Peterson's investment in the offensive line across the course of his career before we get to the smoothie so like, are you saying you don't think they should go Evan Neal they should go like Kayvon Thibodeau I think they should take the best player on their board and not go safe is this like too safe for you no, to me, that that player isn't Neil personally. But if the Jaguars like Neil the best, what I think is important is that Jaguars fans, NFL fans, might look at their offensive line and say, well, you don't really have to take it. You don't need a tackle as badly as you might need a pass rusher opposite of Josh Allen. And I think that would be the wrong move for the Jaguars. I think the roster is so bare that you just draft the guy you're most confident in and move forward from there. Okay, that makes sense. What's yeah. the smoothie, Craig? I kind of need to know what the smoothie is now. Seven eggs. This guy's name is Ben Barch. Seven like eggs. Like raw eggs. Okay. Cottage oh. cheese, grits, peanut butter, Eggs banana, and cottage cheese, oh and my Gatorade. God. Why does he have to do Gatorade? I don't get <laughs> that part. I, Gatorade, I think it's the flavor. I actually remember flavor. him saying, I, I think Colleen Wolf, who at NFL Network, asked why, and he was like, literally, so I can drink it. Like, I know. if he doesn't put the Gatorade in, he couldn't do it. I find cottage cheese plus grits to be fascinating. I know. Like, I was going to gonna say, the, both of those are texture things. The texture of, the texture of this drink Egg yolks, egg yolks, cottage cheese, and grits. That sounds... I would like to know the ratio. You know, like how much Gatorade? Is it like a splash <laughs> or is it kind of the base of the drink? We're like five minutes into this NFL draft show on this on the Ringer feed and it's like we are already just turning off so many people. Right, talking about a player who was drafted like three years ago. I want Ben Barch. I, I don't want Ben Barch in our lives, so I want them to take Evan Neal. Okay, let's get to another award before um, someone vomits. Yeah, all right. This is uh, DK's second pick, and it's the Take a Hunk Out of Them Award, a callback to the head coach <laughs> of the Detroit Lions. That's Dan Campbell. 
because uh, the Detroit Lions are taking Aiden Hutchinson, the pass rusher out of Michigan. And this is, I think, an important award to give out because this pick and this conversation is going to be a thing. Hodgson played at the University of Michigan, Ann Arbor, right? He played mm. 40 minutes from downtown Detroit. Hodgson has this yeoman kind of, I think, myth around him, right? There's kind of this like University of Michigan Wolverines, rah, 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 sort of like tough Big Ten football sort of guy thing that he gets. And that that appeals to the Detroit Lions and their uh, philosophy. And philosophy and, and team building identity is a really important part of the draft. Uh, Teams take players off their board when they don't feel like those players fit philosophically what they want to do and what they want to be, right? Like if, if we are we are putting a premium on intensity, we are putting a premium on character, we are not going to draft players who loaf, we are going to draft players who have off-the-field problems. Like that's a real thing. And so I think that, that a lot of people want to make this connection between Hutchinson and kind of his reputation in Michigan as this like intense dude and like loves, loves football and is crazy about the sport. And Dan Campbell, you know, uh, also in the area who has a similar approach where Dan Campbell wants intense football players and they want to be like crazy and like go get them. I don't think <laughs> Hutchinson lives up to that myth that's written about him, but there is some truth to it in terms of like the dude clearly loves ball and really, oh, yeah. really loves playing defensive end. So that I think it, dissecting and, and getting into the guts of this like Hutchinson philosophically characterized fits what the Lions want to do, I think is an important thing. So I think it's going to get talked about a lot over the next two, two and a half months. DK, what do you what do you make of this? Because this Aiden Hutchinson, the Michigan pass rusher versus Kayvon Thibodeau, the Oregon mm-hmm. pass rusher, thing is going to be such a thing, as Solik was saying. And it's like, how much of this boils down to just Aiden Hutchinson is the guy who once pointed at the other left tackle and then knocked him <laughs> over and called right. a shot, whereas Thibodeau is like, you know, trying to like have a brand and like right. partnering with Phil Knight, the Nike founder, with like an NFT. And it's like, we, we, we can pause on whether those things matter, but in terms of the Lions... I kind of do actually agree that I feel like the Nines, the lines when Dan Campbell's like, oh, we're going to take hunks out of people and bite their kneecaps. That's probably not the guy who's going NFTs. Right. So, yeah, I think this is the big thing is, and, the, and one of the reasons he gets compared, the, Hutchinson gets compared to like the Watt brothers is because of his on, on-field persona. Like he's really amped up, like, you know, for lack of a better word, just an absolute meathead. And I think that's exactly what Sean... <laughs> He's a football guy. <laughs> meathead is good. Meathead, meathead is, is, good. Is, is I was looking for that word, and meathead is the word. My favorite clip entire of the NFL entirely, I remember it was uh, J.J. Watt and Ben. Remind me, who's the linebacker Cushing for, for yeah, the Texans yeah, yeah, back yeah, in the day, Cushing. who is also just a massive meathead. Like, two of the biggest meatheads in NFL history. And there was a clip, it was like from NFL films of them on the sideline. And... JJ Watt just goes eat, eat, eat. Like he's like, you know, spooning food like food into his mouth. And then it like he turns to Cushing and it like turns into like this chorus of them just going, eat, 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 eat. Like it was like the biggest meathead moment in the history of the NFL. It just like fired Aiden me up. Cutson I, is an eat head. He would eat a lot <laughs> eat head, yes, and Brian <laughs> It's just like so. This is the I think this is the type of player that people are that's why they make the connection. In addition to the fact they both play defensive end or big players and they're both white, you know, pass rushers or whatever. Those are the reasons they get connected to each other. Um, but I think like, yeah, the connection is obvious. I think Dan Campbell, it would probably have joined in on that, in that circle of, eat, 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 you know, um, because he loves that shit. He lives for it. He's drinking 50 ounce, you know, black coffee every day just to like yeah. get himself through the day. So yeah, I think just like personality wise, identity wise, it makes a lot of sense. We can go back and forth about Thibodeau versus Hutchinson, but I think just like the identity that they're looking for that I could see them really liking Hutchinson. Is this the pick that you feel the most confident that actually happens? Ooh, that's tough. Yeah, I think so. 
I think so. It just seems like the most natural fit. Um, unless Hutchinson goes first, which ca- that the only reason I hesitated is because Hutchinson could go first, you yeah. know, and and that's that would throw things off. But yes, I do think right now, if I had to put money on it, it would be Neil number one, Hutchinson number two. Obviously, I put that in my draft, but like my mock draft, but I do feel that those feel pretty solid. Right now. Okay, so Neil, number one of the Jaguars as offensive tackle, Aiden Hutchinson to the Lions as a defensive end. Number three, got we're going to give the Joel Embiid award for the I can't believe this guy fell to number three in the draft, which is the Texans grab Kayvon Thibodeau, mm-hmm. the pass rusher out of Oregon, which, again, I think eventually it's going to be completely exhausting on the whole, like, does Thibodeau love football thing? I'm kind of already going to be right. tired of it. Yeah. But, like, just as a player, this guy has higher upside than Hutchinson, does he not, DK? Yeah, upside is a hard to define term i think but like athletically i think he's better athlete he's more agile flexible um he's got a ton of size he plays really low i think he's more versatile you know he can drop back if they want him to not necessarily like you're wanting him to drop back in coverage but he's like comfortable in space he can play standing up he can go down in the middle and and play off of like a guard and and do that type of thing from the interior um overall but i think yeah like there's it's not even just whispers. It's like now there's a ton of rumors coming out that the NFL isn't quite as high on on Thibodeau as like everyone else is in the draft, like draft Twitter or draft community, because there's these concerns. And this is something you hear every year with the NFL teams. There's concerns he has too many interests outside of football. Um, you know, uh, Ben and I talked to him on Radio Row, and you know, he to me was very impressive because he seems very mature. He knows He's what he wants. Cool. He has a very specific like thirty year plan for his life. Yep. And he made fun of me for not having a 30-year plan, which is fair. <laughs> right. So he's got this, he has this uh, holistic view of like his career. He's thinking outside of football. And some teams, and I think this is almost ass backwards, but some teams will say this: he, he doesn't love football enough. He's thinking about life after football. Like what? I wanted to ask Ben, how often does this happen where, you know, like during the draft season, like people start to find out who these guys are and guys like Thibodeau, like, yeah, football's maybe not like the most important thing in my entire life, or it's one of the things I'm, I care about in life. Like how often do those players actually not pan out because of that? Because of that is tricky, right? Like, I think that like, uh, we were talking about this in the pre-show and Danny brought up, uh, Josh Rosen. Rosen's a good example of people were like, man, like he, he has like two political opinions, he might not be able to hack it as a quarterback. <laughs> and then he didn't hack it as a quarterback. And there's a lot of reasons for right. that. I Causation, think that, correlation, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Right, but I think right. that you would find dudes in the league who are currently decision makers now who'd be like, yeah, it's because he cared about other things too much. Like, he wasn't willing to, like, just Sacrifice die, die for the game. You know what I mean? Whatever. It's worth noting that we had that same conversation about a quarterback a year later. It wasn't so much political interest as it was academic interest. And it was about Justin Herbert going back to school for his senior year at Oregon. And it was, why does this guy care about finishing his pre-med degree? Why, why, does, he, why does he care about being ready to go to med school and become a doctor in football? Why does that matter to him? I, the Chargers, I don't really think, give a hoot right now. <laughs> right. Justin Herbert <laughs> cared about that and still did, right? Like, Herbert and Thibodeau, Honestly, both University of Oregon guys really, really cared about their academics. Herbert had to stay four years to finish his degree. Thibodeau finished his degree. And I have very little doubt that if Thibodeau, he has a journalism degree. And I have very little doubt that if he did not finish that degree, he was projected as a top five pick, he would have gone back to school. Because to him, he has to finish it. And so it matters up until the point where they start playing football. And then if they're good, they're good. But I guess my question is, is do you agree with teams dropping these guys down their board because of these reasons? Oh, absolutely not. It is, it is, uh, it is important. 
to get into the why of a player. You want to understand why they are doing what they do and what matters to them. Because if you have a guy that's like super duper money oriented because he wants to live like a big lifestyle that he sees on Instagram, you want to know that. Because once you get him into the building and you give him a check, you're responsible. And what he does reflects back on you, right? So like, like looking at how a guy, what a guy cares about, why he does what he does, absolutely matters. Saying that because a guy isn't motivated just for the love of the game, you know, Cooper Cup route, you know, Matt Stafford beat the Buccaneers love of the game route, whatever. For there to be any motivation outside of that to be a detriment is a far too narrow view. It's far too narrow mindset for general managers and decision makers to correctly interface and interact with and build relationships with their players. To me, it is a weakness of the front office, not of the player. Well, part of the thing that makes me a little mad about this whole thing is that there's also kind of like this racial double standard of like when Tom Brady throws his helmet and screams at someone on the sideline, it's because he wants to win. And mm-hmm. when Odell Beckham does that, it's because he's like problematic and hard to work with. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. like it, I, I kind of see shades of that phrasing, but shades of that with the whole like Kayvon Thibodeau uh, Hutchinson conversation where it's just implied that Hutchinson loves the game where it's like you can also like point and like be the Watt brothers because you like attention. Like, it doesn't just mean you love the game. Like, sometimes oh, you just, like, want to do, I like, would a go so, I would go so far as to say it's not you could be the Watt brothers because you like attention. <laughs> I would go so far as to say one of the Watt brothers really loves attention. Exactly. And that's a big part so, of his thing. I think it, there, there, with anything, there's, like you said, there's shades of gray. Um, I don't think teams, the fact that teams care about the character and, and the football character, that's what they, that's, like, the term typically use is like does a guy love ball i think that does matter because if you're fucking grinding all off season because you have a chip on your shoulder and you're pissed off and the only thing you care about is like getting back at the people who over like overlooked you blah blah blah. like that right. does that does matter it's not like this is we're, we're yeah, not just saying true. like we're not making this up however it there are you know there's different shades where Thibodeau has enough talent physically that you don't want to drop him too much if you think that he's, you know, not quite as in love with football as, as some of these other guys right. or whatever. And so, like, there's, I think there's rumors right now that he'll drop a little bit. He's not going to probably drop out of the top 10, but he might not be the, the clear-cut number one pick. I think that's, like, the main thing. It's yeah. Like, he's not the clear-cut number one pick that I think everyone else thinks he is or that we have been thinking he is for a couple of years now. So I think that's kind of, like, you know, the context that you have to keep in mind. It does matter, but, like, to what level? I don't think Heifetz loves this pod as much as the rest of us. <laughs> yeah. Right. Only Heifetz is as committed. Heifetz has a 30-year plan. Yeah. Yeah, it's like he was reading about Ukraine right before this podcast. <laughs> what is he? He's not focused. All right, so that's the top three. So DK's got Alabama offensive tackle. Evan Neal go to the Jaguars. He's got Aiden Hutchinson, the pa- Michigan pass rusher, going to the Lions. Kayvon Thibodeau, Oregon pass rusher, going to the Texans. Okay, let's move around a little bit. Next, next award here. Yeah, so we're going to jump to the 10th pick here. Uh, and the award is the... Right off the gate, I'm not thrilled. Award, which is uh, Danny <laughs> Kelly has the Steelers trading up to take the Jets' 10th pick in the draft to draft quarterback Malik Willis out of Liberty. Um, yeah, I just got to say, when I saw that, when I logged on to NFLDraftOutTheRinger.com and I saw that, <laughs> I wasn't thrilled. The the whole meme with like the guy grabbing his chest, it's like it hurts my heart a little to see that pick. I don't want to work in progress. You know, I think the Steelers are kind of ready to win now. And I just don't want like to have to like redo the whole situation to like kind of tend to Malik Willis's needs. Right. Well, maybe, maybe it doesn't have to play immediately. Maybe Big Ben can come back for another year and Malik Willis can oh, sit behind perfect. him. Oh, perfect. I didn't Lawrence. know that was on the table. That really yeah. hurts my heart right <laughs> there. That would make you happy? Mason Rudolph, bridge quarterback. Oh, <laughs> Actually, that's probably the most plausible scenario is Mason Rudolph is the starter no, in year one. No, no. Br- J- Mason Rudolph needs to jump off the bridge. <laughs> this is why he was not. <laughs> so, Heifetz had the same reaction, too. He was like, oh, they trade up here. You know, that was kind of like confusing, I think. And 
So the reason, so let me, let me explain it. Back off, first of all. Just let me explain my pick. <laughs> first of all, back off. Okay, so at the Senior Bowl, which happened a couple of weeks ago, a lot of uh, rumors and sort of like open secret that the Steelers really like Malik Willis. So that was number one. I think, you know, they're going to be looking for a new quarterback. Obviously, that's the main thing. But the question is, which one is it going to be? Is it going to be Pickett? Is it going to be Willis? Willis was very impressive because number one, he's big. He's very well built. He's very athletic. And he didn't seem to have as much trouble playing in the rain, playing in the cold, because it was rainy and cold at one 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 of these practices. Um, so his like physical attributes, I think, are what really jump off the page or jump off the screen much more than any of the other quarterbacks in this class. So that's one thing. Um, and then number two, like the question of trading up. And I got a, a few of the comments of this for, from this on Twitter. It's like they didn't. So in my draft, in my mock draft, I had them trading a second this year and a third next year to move up 10 spots. Um, that's not as much as, for instance, the Giants uh, got back for trading back last year. So the um, the Bears gave up a first round, a future first round pick to trade up from 20 to 10. Uh, however, what I think is going to happen, this is like a macro point of view about this draft is with, with the quarterbacks not being considered quite as elite this year as it is in typical seasons. I don't think it's going to cost quite as much to trade up, um, especially in this scenario. So the Steelers look at this as it's a little bit of a bargain to move up and grab the guy that they want. None of the quarterbacks are off the board at the point where the Steelers go. So they get their pick of the litter there. Um, and that's kind of like the, the, context for which I was thinking about this. I think the Steelers like Willis. I think they like his skill set. I think that they can, they have the creativity and the willingness to kind of like work around him, much like the Eagles have done with Jalen Hurts over the last year plus. Um, so that's kind of my my focus. And I understand that Willis is going to be a very hot button topic, I think. A lot of people really like him. A lot of people think he can't play. So this is what's going to happen. Ben, help. Here's my main thing. Here, so I... A lot like all of that tracks me. Like this is like a thing that I think we're gonna have to entertain as a possibility and it's gonna get sourced and talked about. Yeah. You know, now we're gonna get a lot inside the combine, whatever. I don't think that the price of trading up will go down. Yeah, that that's that's fair. That that yeah, might be and the case. that to me, because the the thing is this if I'm the guy who takes the discounted price to move back out of a spot. And that quarterback ends up good. I'm twice the idiot, right? I'm definitely already the idiot. And so maybe like it doesn't matter. Maybe it's like, all right, if Willis is good, then either way, I trade it out of the spot. And like that's bad. But in my like in my estimation, I'm twice the idiot. Like I like was so desperate to move out of the spot because I was so positive that this guy was not going to be good or that any of the guys would be good that I took a discount to move it back and then I, I lost it. To me, that that's concerning. The other thing is that with the way that teams manipulate comp picks. And 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 kind of have an increased visibility on those, and then also the fact that there are just simply more complex in the pool now with the adjustment to the the rule of hiring minority assistant coaches and getting complex mm -hmm. for that. I just think that there's a increase, there's a glut now because complex can be traded of like more third and fourth round picks than there usually would. That makes it a little bit hard for that market to be going down when there's just like so many more picks that are going to be available third and fourth round to trade. Yeah. And so I'm not sure that that market has the effect that it does. And it's going to be really interesting to see because yeah. the most interesting world for first round trades is the world we're in right now, which is crazy active free agent and trade quarterback class, horrible draft quarterback class. Like this could be one of the quietest first rounds in terms of trades we've seen in a while, which I know like isn't fun, but it is interesting to talk about. <laughs> it just shows what kind of the movers are when we talk about trades in the draft. 
Well, we could. I think we have a lot of time to like do trades and stuff, and like maybe the Steelers are throwing something extra to the Jets to like make this sweep. But I think my question is like in terms of Malik Willis specifically with the Steelers, we're basically talking. And tell me if I'm wrong, DK. It's not about he played through like the rain in the Senior Bowl one time. It's this guy is Lamar Jackson's speed with Josh Allen's arm. Yep. But like the problem is that he also has Josh Allen's like 54 percent completion percentage, and like not really knowing what's going on in college. Right, correct, and and that's what Ben. We talked about this on the uh, the quarterback episode. A couple <laughs> yeah, times ago. I was, I still can't get it out of my head. Ben being like, "Yeah, there are just some passes I watch on tape, and I'm like, I don't know what the hell this guy's doing." I, like, well, so, I don't want that. Yeah, I think Todd that's, McShay, that's Todd McShay fair. said this uh, this past week on his pod that like, or no, it wasn't Todd. It was Hugh Freeze to Todd McVay to Todd McShay. Uh, man, I, I didn't realize Sean McVay and Todd McShay run <laughs> yeah, until I Todd accidentally McVay. said the wrong name there. Um. So Hugh Freeze, who was Liberty's head coach, Malik Willis' head coach, said uh, Malik doesn't know what he doesn't know yet. And that's a two-sided, that's a double-edged sword. It's a not a backhanded compliment, but it's a little bit of like a compliment with a poke. Right. Uh, it means that like, yeah, like he's just like, you know, he's he's a confident dude who attacks and, and, and knows what he's good at. And in terms of like stuff that he doesn't do, like it doesn't really matter to him. Like he has the cardinal traits necessary to like get the job done with unbelievable arm, unbelievable movement ability. But the other edge of that is like he doesn't know what he doesn't know yet is a reminder that it's not just like, oh, we have to help him process. We got to teach him how to process. Like a coach. And, yeah. you And you can claim that's good. Like you don't have to like strip any bad habits down. You just kind of get like ground zero and can build from there. But like it, it is, I like again, like even with Josh Allen, it's very hard to think of a quarterback who came in and had needed such foundational pieces, needed such clear cornerstones that he doesn't, or like have at least some semblance of right now. And you see Malik Willis like that, Josh Allen, where you like, you need to basically start from the bottom. I think it, I, I, with Josh Allen, I don't think you had to start from the bottom. I think you had some things. And, and in terms of like, you could see him try to process and you could see him like try to like rhythm with his feet. And he, it was bad. And again, there's an argument that this is in Malik Willis' favor because you have to unteach bad habits to quarterbacks yeah. who already have that. And that's really difficult to do. Mm. Willis does have some bad habits, but like there's, there's, it's not like, like he like currently knows like thinks he knows how to read out like snag and you have to like re-explain it to him. He just doesn't know how. And so like you just kind of start from zero and I'm like, maybe that's good, but maybe that is, it's very hard to figure out. <laughs> that's a great point though, that maybe yeah. it's actually an advantage. Like yeah. starting like the blank, blank canvas slate. might be better. Yeah. yeah One of the most difficult things in coaching is unraveling bad habits. It I, is so yeah. much more of the process than people realize is taking things that quarterbacks have relied on, other players have relied on as crutches and getting rid of those and replacing them with something is really tough. I think, yeah, and at the bottom, at the end of the day, if you're going to take a guy in the first round, I think teams are probably more... It, it, this is sort of the Brandon Whedon thing. Like, Brandon Whedon, when the when the Browns picked him, it was always like, oh, he's got a good floor. You know, he's a, little, he's a lot <laughs> older. It's like, why spend a first-round pick on a guy when it's like your ceiling is so low? Like, with Malik Willis, he has an extremely strong arm. He has... He can throw on the move. He's like I said, I've said this a million times, but he's going to be the second best rushing quarterback in the NFL immediately when he gets into the NFL. He's that good of a runner. Um, so if you have a scheme, if you can design a scheme that brings him along slowly, we've seen coaches have the ability to do this with quarterbacks, especially more recently. Um, like, I don't know, his his ceiling is just so much higher than any of the other quarterbacks in this class. He's he's beginning to be my favorite quarterback in this class simply for that reason, even though he's raw. Like, and I don't disagree with Solak on any of the, what he's saying, but I think I'm just maybe like being the optimist where, where he's like maybe being a prag, pragmatic or whatever. It's like, 
I, I just see the upside there. And I think he could turn into someone like a really good quarterback. But it's going to take mm-hmm. a little time. There's gonna have to you're gonna have to be patient as a coaching staff and as a fan base. So it, it's tough. I mean, this is this is the situation with the entire class. Like no one here is a slam dunk guy. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more, whether you're into speed power or style ebay motors has got you covered with over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die you'll always find exactly what you're looking for and with ebay guaranteed fit your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back because with ebay motors you're burning rubber not cash with all the parts you need at the prices you want it's easy to turn your car into the mvp and bring home that win keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusion supply. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans at Empower What's Next. Start today at empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. Let's get to the next what next one here. I'm going to go an Arrested Development Award. I'm, you remember Anne from Arrested Development? And, it's, and Michael's always like, her? Who? Her? Anne? No one remembers Anne. <laughs> what, is she funny? Anne? Is she what's funny? What's she You funny? like her? And I'm giving that because you've got, DK, you've got the Washington Commanders... <laughs> I'm sorry. First of all, the, I've, can we just, yeah, let's pause and, and ponder the name. I, this, by the way, this is the first time I've written out commanders Same. when I was doing this mock draft and it felt very weird. Uh, it's a, uh, not a, it's a fine name. It's, <laughs> is it, it evokes little emotion. It is a, na- it's, it is it's a name. It's a name. It sounds a name. like a flag football name. <laughs> it does. It's, like it's so bad. It's better than the other options that they had. Some of the other options. Well, their options were limited by like the thousands of names trademarked by all the law firms in DC that were like, I bet we could just make like a hundred million dollars if we just trademark these things. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I was just like incredible. Anyway, uh, go Washington commies. That worked out. Way to go, commanders. <laughs> by the way, I love that. So Washington's name is the commanders. And the first thing that Craig defaults to is the commies. The yeah. other... Which I think is one of the antitheses, antitheses of freedom and American, the Ameri- American, like democracy? The American, yeah, democracy, the American political system, uh, n- doesn't fit the fact that this is the seat of American freedom. Right. Uh, some of the other options when they released, like this was a leak, so I don't know if it's one hundred percent true, but like some of the other options were the royals and the monarchs, like the monarchy, the I don't- Washington <laughs> monarchs. No, the butterflies. The Washington Royals. Yes. What the fuck is wrong with you? Sorry, I, just I wish they went with demon cats. <laughs> That's actually I good. didn't know that was on the table. <laughs> That's like straight out of like Talladega Nights. The demon cats. <laughs> I think I should have just stuck with football theme. To be honest with you, I don't know. Anyway, okay. So anyway, so pick back it. to it's like the bland <laughs> of names. Anyway, but speaking of bad names. Kenny yeah, speaking Pickett. of bad names, yeah. Yeah, Kenny Pickett, the quarterback from Pittsburgh, give him to Washington. But when him? I first saw this, I was like, him? Him? Like, is what, he funny? What's this? But like, <laughs> I feel like Washington had RG3 10 years ago and was like the coolest quarterback ever. And since then, it's been Kirk Cousins, like Ryan Fitzpatrick when he was like old, Alex Smith, 
Taylor Heineke, Haskins. Like these are all like boring Shit. quarterbacks. And like Kenny <laughs> Shit, Pickett. Like, right. is there any reason Washington fans should see Kenny Pickett and be like, yeah? Like it's just like him. I mean, totally, if I'm being completely honest, no, not really. He, he's essentially... <laughs> Here, he's, here's the sell. Here's the tagline. Kenny, Pick, Kenny Pickett. What if Taylor Heineke made four fewer mistakes this yes, year? Yes. I was going to say, he's actually just sort of like an upgraded Taylor Heineke. <laughs> oh, my God. That's worse. You said it I mean, be it's better. better than Taylor Heineke, I that's think. That's such a low bar. He's going 11th in the draft. What happened to you copying him to Tony Romo? I know. Well, that's what I'm saying. Well, Taylor Heineke... In terms of like the escapability, evade right, pressure, that's like what I was looking at. That's like Taylor Heineke does that too. And I'm not saying Taylor Heineke is is Romo. I think that Pickett is more physically gifted than Heineke. So that number one, that's a big thing. Um, <laughs> okay, but like being physically gifted, there's still the question of like is his hand size an issue because uh, he has small hands. But ah, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's tough. Oh my. Okay. Wow. This is so. I will say. I just will say he is my top rated quarterback. But it is the question of ceiling versus floor. I think he has the highest floor of any of the quarterbacks in this class. Danny, the ceiling is not the highest. Danny, water gun to your head. Uh, who goes? <laughs> no, that, real gun. Real that, gun, that, gun to your head. Gun Squirt to gun. Your head. Super soaker? Are we talking? Okay. That's a birds with friends uh, uh, bit. For <laughs> shout out, but Wolf and Chilcapadia. But water gun to your head. Um, Pickett or Willis? Who's first off the board this year? Willis. All right. Right now, FanDuel. Pickett's plus 175, Willis is plus 200. So right now there's a, a market edge for Pickett to be the first quarterback off the board. And I agree with Danny. Uh, I think that Willis will end up more likely. So it's a good bet. What's the best dark horse bet on there? So Corral's like plus 500. Our boy Ritter's like plus 1,000. You know what I mean? I don't think Ritter's going to be that big. I don't think the teams have going to see enough from him. Um, but like Corral plus 500, maybe. I don't know. We have Corral later that we'll talk about. But like, well, let, let's yeah. just skip around. Let's just do Corral now. Okay. Yeah. So uh, this Matt Corral was the 18th overall pick. He went to the New Orleans Saints. This was our rest in peace Taysom Hill award uh, because Taysom <laughs> has been a long-standing Ponzi scheme. Well, I guess it's like, like long thing. No, he's yeah. a money laundering money vehicle. laundering scheme run by Sean Payton in the final days. And it was that we should have known that eventually, like, oh, people are like, oh, Sean Payton looked at the total cap space and, and he retired. No, he looked at Taysom's contract and was like, oh, there's nothing more I can do here. I can't funnel any more millions of dollars out of X into Y <laughs> uh, through the Taysom Hill contract. So here we go. But Taysom has long felt like a bit propped up by Sean Payton. And now Sean Payton is no longer there. I cannot imagine that even Pete Carmichael, who's going to stay on the New Orleans Saints offensive staff, is in any way, shape, or form dedicated to Taysom. Like, I don't think he was the reason. It really felt like a Sean Payton yeah. thing. Yeah. Uh, and so if the Saints are making a quarterback pick, which I think the Saints are a team that reasonably could make a quarterback pick. Because with, with New Orleans, you can go one of two ways here. You can say, Payton just retired. We've spent a lot of money over the last few years. We've pushed a lot of money from future years into cap to try to field these competitive teams. Let's chill for a year or two. This has to be a long-term rebuild. Or you can... And, and, and taking a quarterback in the first round allows you to say, all right, let's do that. And if that guy's good enough, then we don't have to pay any quarterbacks big money. And that's going to help us out with our rebuild. Sick. By the, like, by the same time, you can draft that quarterback at 18. Let's say you hit. Let's say, say you hit big. Let's say you hit quick. Team's still really good. Defense is still on. Dennis Allen's still there. And there's still a lot of talent. And you can quite quickly say, oh, what if we uh, what if we did the old uh, push some money into future years thing again, right? And, and kind of just run that train back in the event that you really hit in round one. So they make a lot of sense as a team to try to draft a quarterback 
not with any sort of urgency to compete, but also leaving the door open for that guy to develop and then to make this seemingly like three-year rebuild a much more quick, like one-year, one-and-a-half-year reload, which would be a really nice, lucky thing for New Orleans. I'm not sure it happens in this class, but they're a good team to take a first-round quarterback accordingly. One one question I asked myself when I was doing this exercise. and For Matt ben, Corral or for the Saints? For Matt Corral and the Saints. Ben, I, I want to ask you this. Would you rather have Matt Corral or Taysom Hill straight up? Oh, Corral. Yeah, me too. Corral can, I, uh, Corral can throw the football. <laughs> and he's a pretty God. good runner. Yeah. Yeah, and if you're going to argue that Taysom can throw the football, we're looking at 31 years old versus 22. He transferred 22. Yeah. But is he better or like a lot better? Because Than Taysom? Yeah. He's a much better thrower. He's much, much better. better. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good. He's not as good of an athlete. <laughs> right. Now, this, that, that, yeah, that question coming from the guy who is like better than Taylor Heineke is a low bar. Oh, is he better than Taysom? Man, I mean, like, I, an average wide receiver might be a better quarterback than Taysom Hill. Like, it's, <laughs> Odell it's, you know, yeah. might be a better receiver. Than okay, but, Taysom, so, yes. but, but can Matt Corral play special teams, though? Can he yeah. do, like, an up back? Right. Can he play think, tight end? Think uh, about the 53rd roster spot that you're losing when he loses Taysom. Oh, what a shame. Okay, so n- next question. Would you rather have Matt Corral or Jameis Winston? Jameis. Okay. So I think that's the question that the Saints have to ask themselves, and, and I don't know what the answer is there for them. Um, I don't necessarily... I, I, I might be on the island with this. I don't really think Jameis showed all that much this last year. I, I didn't think he was very good. I think that they were doing the same shit they were doing around Taysom Hill where they are trying to hide Jameis the entire season. So that's just my personal opinion. That's why, ultimately, I went with Corral. I do know uh, Jameis still has a lot of people that think he's good. I'm just not really in that camp. I, I don't really get it. I don't really see it. Um, so that's kind of where I am. I don't, you know, I think right now, I think Jameis probably still has a little bit higher, um, floor, obviously than Corral. If he comes in here, Corral is going to be, he's played only in an RPO offense. So it's like, you're going to be pretty limited with what you can do with Corral coming in. Um, but just long term, I think I'd rather bet on Corral than Winston. That's just me. All right, let's finish out with the last quarterback. here. <laughs> ben was going to answer. But oh, sorry. Go, please. So I was, no, I was just going to say. Money gets gets put into that conversation as well. True. Like, I think Jameis is better than Corral, but I think once Jameis proves he's better than Corral, you're paying Jameis more than you'd be paying Corral even on the middle of the first round contract. That's true. Yeah. All right. Moving on. Yeah. Let's just get to the last quarterback here. I'm not gonna lie. I'm so confused on Corral still. I just I'm, I'm kind of just what does he do here? I actually kind of think of it. He's similar to Tua in some ways, but he's more athletic, and so he can do more in the run game. Um, Tua's offense in, in Miami this year was very RPO-based, very quick processing. The offensive line was bad, so he had to get rid of the ball extremely quickly. Um, but Tua was a little more limited athletically to get around and like make things happen outside the pocket. So I think what you're having with Corral is a similar style offense. He's a quick processor, uh, but he has a good arm, and he's much more dynamic as a runner than Tua is. But why so, can't... So it, but basically, that's also a very polite... And you're polite, DK. That's kind of a polite way of saying he's not a processor. Like, he's a quick processor. Is also kind of... An RPO offense is also kind of a way of saying he's not actually going to, like, process all these reads. But, like, five well, we minutes don't ago, really we were know. talking about... Yeah, we don't We were really talking know. about five minutes ago, we were talking about Malik Willis. And, like, well, it's good that he doesn't know anything. And it's like, well, why can't you teach Matt Corral? We don't. We don't know. Yeah, that's right. The, the the difference is what their offenses ask them to do. So you have both, like, RPO-heavy offenses. Uh but Willis was more frequently put in a position where he had to read things out mm-hmm. and elected not to, uh, whereas Corral is just less frequently put in that position. Uh, and now what ends up happening here is like a very dangerous assumption of rational actors. Are coaches rational actors? Do coaches put their quarterbacks 
at all times, in every instance, in the position in which they are most likely to succeed. I would love for that to be the case, but it's not, right? So is Lane Kiffin putting Corral in a position where he's like never reading anything out? He never has like a full field read because that's what's best for Corral because he can't read it out at all. Or is he doing that because Lane Kiffin's offense is Lane Kiffin's offense, baby. And this is the way we do things. And Corral is fully comfortable reading things out and is just never asked to because Lane is confident that from the sideline, Lane will always get his guy to the right spot. We'll always get a play that works. And he doesn't need to like just run like a basic West Coast spacing and be like, Corral, make the defense wrong. You see what I'm saying? So like we it's very hard to read between the lines of what a offensive designer asks a quarterback to do and how that reflects on that quarterback's ability to process. And that's why teams put such a high priority on getting these guys in the hotel rooms during the combine and putting them on the board because you want to see what will they'll do when you ask them to do it as opposed to trying to infer what their head coach was asking them to do or what their offensive play call was asking mm. them to do over the years of them playing. Quarterbacks that are hard. That makes a ton of sense. Quarterbacks <laughs> are hard to evaluate. And, and this there is right, but this is why. Like, you know what I mean? This is like we, like, I'll never forget when Dwayne Haskins came out and it was Ohio State, right? And it was, oh, he's a pocket passer, which means he reads the field. What? But he was pretty raw. Yeah. Yeah. Ha- have we watched 10 snaps of Dwayne Haskins? Like, like they, it was just like, it's Urban Meyer, and so it's like it's like a good offense, right? Like everybody knows his name, and he brought, he's in the pocket, so he must process the field. Never, not for one snap. And so, like that's the thing is like we 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 try to make these connections that tell us whether or not a guy processes, and they don't really work. And a guy that's a really 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 good example of this is the guy we're about to talk about, which is Desmond Ritter, who Danny had went at 32 overall to the Detroit Lions. Mm-hmm. This is, we have it as the screw it, why not award. It's essentially the fifth year option award, right? Where <laughs> when you take a quarterback in the first round, especially late in the first round, you're saying, we'd rather take this guy in the second, but if he's good, we want his fifth year option because that yeah. fifth year option on his contract is only available for players selected in the first round. Only players in the first round get that fifth year option. The other second round, third round, fourth round, they don't get it all four-year, three-year contracts. And if it's a quarterback who's good, that fifth-year option is going to be much, much, much cheaper than the contract we would have to sign him to when he hits the end of his deal. So that's why you see quarterbacks go. Yeah. You have to make the decision way earlier if you don't have yeah. that fifth-year option, too. So that's that makes it harder. So, Ritter, where does he come in in this whole discussion about processing and right. reading defenses and so quickly? So, uh, the offense that we make fun of, right, uh, in the league, San Francisco, uh, Minnesota, Kirk Cousins, Baker Mayfield, Kevin Stefanski, put the quarterback under center, run play action, right? Wide zone play action stuff, and then run play action off of that. We make fun of that offense because it helps like average quarterbacks look a lot better. Desmond plays at Cincinnati. You want to know what they do on offense? They do that. There's a lot of under center. There's a lot of play action boot. There's a lot of like throw, you know, throw the, the slide, throw the crosser, right? That's the offense in the league that we pick on. So it's very easy to watch Ritter Mobile quarterback moves around a little bit, throws outside of the pocket on these under center, you know, moves and say he's getting the same boost. He's getting the same benefit, the same uh, safety net that, the, that Kirk Cousins and Jimmy Garoppolo and Jared Goff did. But then when it's a clear passing down, get to third and seven plus and they put Ritter in the gun, they run big boy stuff and Ritter executes big boy stuff. So they run like, you know, nine, eight, nine, and they run like five, five man of the progression, full field reads, and they run like vertical stretch. They run high low. Like they run all of this stuff that if you wanted a West Coast passer to execute, 
you see Ritter execute it. You don't seem to do it on base downs, but typically they do it when they want to get to their passing downs, right? And they, and they feel like they need to get a bucket. They feel confident putting the keys of the car in Ritter's hands. That is not true of Willis. That is not true of Howell. That is not true of Strong, of Zappi, of Corral. It's kind of a little bit true of Pickett. It's, Zappi. It, it's less to a degree. Bailey Zappi. Uh, but it, it it's true of Ritter. And so like that's where... where if you pull peak plays, you pull highlight real plays, Ritter is a guy that you feel confident has done NFL-style processing. Yeah, I think the the difference between Ritter and some of the other guys is like, when you're talking about the traits and everything, I don't think Ritter really, or sorry, I don't think, uh, yeah, I don't think Ritter uh, from Cincinnati really stands out. He doesn't really have like a defining trait. That's like one of the things I think that people kind of struggle with him on. And, and some people say, I just don't see it with Ritter, is that he doesn't have like a de- de- defining trait. He doesn't have like a huge... Rocket launcher arm. He's not um, the most twitched up speedster type guy. He's basically just he's he's athletic. He's um, you know somewhat polished. I'd say in the, in the way that he can execute an offense. I know that some people will probably take offense to the fact that I call him polished. I know that for a fact because I had a lot of people t- say that on Twitter. Um, but I do think he's polished because he like Ben just laid out like he's doing higher level quarterback stuff. He's setting protections. He's getting guys where they need to be set up. He's going through his reads, all that stuff. Um, and he has four years of starting experience. So there's, um, again, it's like a vibes thing. Like what kind of quarterback do you want? Do you want a guy who's like really sort of more advanced in some of the, the mental parts of the game and, and the, uh, nuanced parts of the game, or you got a guy who has like the power arm, the elite upside of like a Willis type player, um, and that's the question I think a lot of teams are going to have to ask. I know some people are going to see Ritter as like a backup. He's like probably a good backup. Some people are going to see him as we can definitely win with this guy because he's so smart and he's so good at um, some of the nuances that it really takes at the quarterback position. Maybe he just doesn't have a defining feature. So um, I don't know. It, it's going to be very interesting. I, I in, re- in reality, it wouldn't surprise me all that much if Ritter went in the second round. Um, but I do think he has the traits to be a starter in the NFL. So that's why I kind of had him with this. And again, it's the fifth round option award. The reason he goes at 32 is because he has that fifth year option. Who's the last quarterback who didn't have a defining trait? Uh, well, I, I comped him to Daniel Jones in a good way. You know, it kind of does remind me of Daniel Jones. I know that some Daniel people, people probably don't believe in Daniel Jones at this point, And that might be fair. Um, but Daniel Jones definitely flashes at times. Um, I don't know. Pre- Prescott to me is the one that people bring up for Ritter, where he yeah. was a fourth round pick, and it was like, was he doesn't done, doesn't do anything well enough. He's like, oh, good arm, not great, not an accurate enough, not a good enough mover to be like that's how he wins the NFL. And then he walks mm-hmm. into the league and he wins with all of them. He wins with pocket management. And he wins with decisiveness. And he wins with protecting the football. Now he's smart. Yeah, he's like he's just cerebral. It's a narrow. Yeah. It's a narrow road to walk. Right. The thing is, we always think traits describe the ceiling. Traits describe the floor. Malik Wills is, is, is the absolutely high ceiling. But he's also high floor because at any time he can talk, run, and go get 15. It's going right. to save your bacon mm. many, many, many times. Yeah, but that's like, but that's higher floor in terms of like on a play-by-play basis. Does he have a high floor in terms of like leading a team to the playoffs every year? Like actually winning right. an important game? No, I very much agree with you, right? It kind of like depends on what exactly we're prognosticating. But for me, like the, the highest ceiling possible quarterback is a guy like Ritter because he might end up being... Pr- perfect he might end up being good at everything right and that's like a career long sort of an arc uh, on a play-by-play basis it's different right because malik wills has the escape button right he has the 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 the, the trump card that on one play can save you right so it's a very good distinction wait so i want to make sure i heard that right you're saying ritter who 
DK's got here at the 32nd pick, the last pick in the first round. You think Solak has the highest upside of these four guys, career arc-wise? Like, uh, ish? Like, like <laughs> it's, not, it's, it's not exactly that construction. It's just like, yes, in the sense that I think if Ritter hits, he's going to be really, really, really good. God, it's, I hope the Steelers take him. I don't want Malik yeah. Willis. This guy's yeah. got everything. Like, oh, he's... No, got, I, I think the Steelers should take Malik it, But here, he, it, here's oh. the thing is, the problem is that, like, <laughs> if, Willis, if Willis hits, it's because he's doing what he does at Liberty right now, which is just like outrunning cats, right? And like, that's going to be He did that awesome. Senior Bowl. Yeah, yeah, Senior Bowl. Like, there's a big reason to think like that just keeps him afloat and that gives him that, high, that keeps him afloat high floor and also gives him a high ceiling because like you can go and like make a Lamar offense out of him. For Ritter, hitting is much, much, much harder because he has to hit on like every trait. He has to be like the athlete we think he is, the accuracy we think he has, at least like, that I do, the processing that we think he has, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, because he is like holistic. He is the sum of his parts. That's why we say that like the pocket passer kind of uh, 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 style of quarterback, that archetype is dying. It's because it is an efficiency archetype. It is every single play, I'm going to be right and you're going to be wrong. I'm going to execute in a way that you can't play over play. It is an efficiency archetype. Whereas your big arm, big mover Malik Willis archetype is an explosive archetype. You may get me on every other play, but boy, when I hit, 60-yard score. And that that's the league is shifting yeah. right now to that explosive quarterback instead of that efficient quarterback. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York, we want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. Let's get to a couple receivers right now. DK's mm-hmm. also got here. I <laughs> There's a couple funny ones. I got to... You, you've got... The 10th time is the charm award here is what I'm going to give you because you got 21st pick. You got the New England Patriots <laughs> taking Chris Olave, the receiver mm. out of Ohio State. Did you do that? I mean, obviously, Patriots taking receivers is hilarious. Are you like trying to get fired or like what are you doing here? <laughs> it, this is one of those things where the Patriots are famous for being terrible at picking receivers. But I actually looked it up. Heifetz, you did this article. I don't know what oh, it yeah. was, like last year or two years ago. Their history of drafting receivers early is not, they, don't, they didn't draft them a ton really early. Um, I think Nikhil Harry is clearly like the big flashing, like, don't do it, don't do it sign or whatever. But um, if you look back in their history, it's like they've got a couple of second rounders here, like splashed in. And this goes back to like 2003. In the, in the 2010s, they've only picked one guy in the first round, one receiver in the first round. And their second highest pick was Aaron Dobson in the second round. So they've basically had two misses. Well, does that mean they should stop drafting receivers? Well, can, but can not, I just like, briefly read the list of players who yeah. literally were the next receiver taken after <laughs> the Patriots draft receiver? Like, literally, yeah, yeah, the yeah. Patriots draft receiver, the next receiver taken was, and in order, it was, um, let's see here, Anquan Bolden, Greg Jennings, Mike Wallace, Keenan Allen, Jesus. A.J. Brown, and that doesn't account D.K. Metcalf and Debo Samuel. <laughs> so it's a, it's a tough look. We can say it's not... It's not ideal. We can start it's there. Not, it's, it's not a good look. It's not a good look. It's not great. It's not great. Uh, no, so I don't know. It's one of those things. That I did this as... It, you're right. It's a little bit of a trolley pick because, you know, maybe the Patriots are just not going to pick a receiver. They just won't do it. But they still need one. 
I mean, they need a receiver. They need a good receiver to come in and um, give Mac Jones some more support in the passing game. Like, their receivers were basically all just a bunch of role players. I mean, no offense to, like, Jacoby Myers, but he's not, like, a number... He's not, like, a prototypical alpha number one type receiver. He's a good chains mover, but they need some. They need somebody to take the top off of defense. Nelson Aguilar is not reliable. Um, and so this was, like, kind of my thinking... Again, it might not happen. This probably won't happen, but this is what mock drafts are for because I want to um, discuss like what's best for Mac Jones. I think having an, a very good receiver like Chris Olave who can separate early in his routes, who can take the top of a defense, who can stretch the defense. He's like a, a field-tilting type receiver. Like This guy has, I believe, the Ohio State record for most touchdowns in his career. Now, obviously, he's played four years, so that adds to it, and that's another question mark. Is Do, do you want to pick a senior receiver this early in the draft? Maybe not. But um, I don't know. I like Olave a lot, actually. And I think he'd be like a really good fit in this offense and in what he can do for the offense schematically um, and just giving Mac Jones more help. Okay, so you wanted a, a receiver. You brought up field stretch and you brought up Nelson Aguilar. Two picks later is Jameson Williams, who's yeah. ex-Ohio State receiver, then transferred to Alabama. Why did he transfer just- to Alabama, Ben? Because Ohio State's got a lot of freaking good receivers. And to be with Bill Belichick's boy, Nick Saban. He transferred to Alabama because he couldn't get ahead of Chris Olave in the starting lineup at Ohio State. Okay, yes. But let's not act act like that's exclusively because Olave is better than him. Olave was already playing and had the starting job when Jameson Williams entered Ohio State. And Jamison Williams did not transfer out of Ohio State until Chris Olave elected to come back for his senior year, which yeah. was very peculiar because Olave like, would have been a first-round pick as a junior. Then Jamison went to Alabama and averaged, I'm looking it up right now, 79 yards per catch or something like absolutely <laughs> just like universal yeah. out of this world. Jamison Williams to me is like Will Fuller again. And I don't know why... Like, to me, I, I look at Olave as a player who can do a lot of what Kendrick Bourne and Jacoby Myers do for them. And I always go back to Daniel Jeremiah, who shared this perspective. I think, like, an NFL team sold it to him, but whatever. Like, this idea, Jeremiah said, where you want to build your wide receiver room like a basketball team. You got to mm. get different body oh, Chris types. Chris Ballard. Chris Ballard. Chris Ballard, right. Jeremiah. Different body types and different roles into the building. And when I look at uh, <laughs> uh, Kendrick Bourne, and Jacoby Myers, and just the Patriots' unending, unflappable ability to separate on eight-yard hitches and slants. I just want... I, uh, it sucks that Drake London got picked, a kid out of USC, one pick before him in the draft. It sucks that Traylon Burks out of Arkansas got picked five picks before him. They need one of those guys. I just don't think they need an Olave. I think they have that body type, and they have that role. I love Olave. I would have hoped they would have gone for a different body type. I want to. I, I I like where your head is. One thing I want to share about Jameson Williams because we're not going to talk about him again on this on this show, but I think it's great. He beat Ezekiel Elliott's state record in the three hundred meter hurdles as a sophomore in high school. He's fucking yeah. fast, by the way. So I, I I totally get where you're coming from. And he has a an ACL injury, mm-hmm. I believe it is. Yes. I, I can't recall. Yes, yes torn ACL. So he's not going to run. If there were a receiver in this class, like first round pick, not like like a day three flyer track guy, if there were a receiver in this class to run four twos, that guy. Jameson it would have been Williams. Jameson. Yep. For what it's worth, just in my defense, even though I don't actually disagree with you on this one, uh, Chris Olave is expected to run in the low four threes. He's fast also. Also, Chris Ballard, is he's behind the times in the NBA. Now you just want like five, six, seven dudes. <laughs> <laughs> Build them yeah. like the Raptors, baby. So... 
Speaking of Ohio State receivers, DK, you've also got Garrett Wilson to the Browns at 13, but like this is also a troll pick because you compared him to Odell Garrett Wilson to Odell Beckham. <laughs> rebound. basically giving Odell Beckham to the Browns. Yeah, it's the rebound award. This like is where you, you date someone that looks yeah. like your ex kind of deal. <laughs> um, you, you're the one who did the mock. Seems so. Yeah. I mean, look, they traded for Odell Beckham. I, I know. Like, it's this is the Giants part. taking Daniel Jones because he likes he looks like Eli Manning. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, that's actually probably not untrue. I know there's there's different people in the Browns organization now than when they traded with him, traded for him. But I do think, generally speaking, the Browns do need someone like Garrett Wilson in their offense. They've got a sort of like a dedicated, explosive, take the top off a defense outside receiver um, in Donovan Peoples-Jones. They've got Jarvis Landry, who is like, you know, a slot receiver who can't really threaten vertically. Um, and then Slot they, shaming once again. They, they drafted... Uh, Schwartz, I don't know if he's going to turn into anything. I think Garrett Wilson is kind of like, again, getting back to the basketball analogy, sort of like somewhere in between Peoples-Jones and Landry. He's a guy that you can line up at the Z spot. He can move all around. He's very explosive. Can you explain what that catch. means, the Z spot? The Z is essentially a movement receiver. You're playing off the line of scrimmage. You can motion before the snap. It's a combination of an X, which is a guy lined up on the outside, and a slot, mm -hmm. which is a guy that's lined up in the inside off the line of scrimmage, typically. Um, but Garrett Wilson is a combination of the two. He can move around, um, go in motion. He's very explosive. He's very twitched up after the catch. He actually reminds me a little bit of Kadarius Tony and his movement, um, suddenness after the catch. So he's kind of just, I think he's the type of weapon that offense really needs. Someone who could run after the catch, take a lot of pressure off of Baker Mayfield, get, get the ball out more quickly and do something with it after the catch. They don't really have that guy right now. All right, I just thank you for explaining the Z spot. It just sounds like so vaguely sexual when people yeah. are just like, "Oh, you got you got to get got to get the Z, the Z spot, spot." Phil. DK is yeah. very familiar with the Z spot. Yeah, DK knows exactly where to find. It's the a Z. real thing. It took it me exists. a while, but I so the song is "Deja Vu" by Olivia Rodrigo, delightful album where she sings about how like a guy's with a new girl and the new girl like looks like her and acts like her and like, oh, how interesting that is. <laughs> Dude, I and love that album. So that much. is a Garrett Wilson to Odell Beckham Jr. pick, right? Where yep. it's like, listen. We cut Odell. It didn't work here. We're fine. We're over it. Okay, it doesn't matter anymore. Who is the most Odell-looking receiver in this draft class? We need to get Odell <laughs> into the building right now. Um, and it's a, it's it's appropriate. Like adding Odell's style receiver made sense for the Browns when they added Odell. Uh, mm -hmm. I think Garrett Wilson helps them in that regard. I think that he does fit nicely with like Donovan Peoples-Jones and Jarvis Landry in terms of, of building out that receiver room. Uh, this team lives in 12 and 13 personnel. They live with two or three tight ends on the field. That's the thing that interests me here is if they're spending a first-round pickup receiver, are they indicating that we're going to change and we're going to play with more two-receiver sets? And at the very least, two-receiver sets, if not three-receiver sets. I don't know if that's what Kevin Stefanski is ever going to do. Yeah. It's that's brutal fair. out here. So, yeah, does this make does this make Odell Olivia Rodrigo? No. Does, right? No, Baker's got to be Olivia Rodrigo because Odell dumped her, him in like extraordinarily no, 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 public fashion. Odell fashioned. is Olivia Rodrigo. Right, she got right. Yes. yes. Odell didn't get dumped. Odell was like, I'm leaving. Well, but he was released. So he, he would be saying... Because he demanded to, He would be saying to Baker or the Browns, do you get deja vu when Garrett Wilson's with you? Yes. That is it. Thank you, Craig. DK is sitting <laughs> quietly. Like, I have no clue who Olivia Rodrigo is. I've, I've heard... I've heard she's of She's in the Apple commercial. You know that Apple commercial and the Facebook commercial with the animated one? She's in like... I never listened to this album ever, and I don't really not a big pop music fan. And then I worked at a camp for a week with a bunch of high school aged <laughs> kids. And yeah. boy, oh boy, did we dance that album a lot. And I was like, this is so irritating. <laughs> and then the first thing I did for the flight home 
was download that entire album and then it's just listen to it. It's great. It's a great, it's it's a great record, best. man. It's so good. It's, it's honestly, it's just an absolutely incredible album. Okay. So like, you was so like, want to run through some honorable mentions? Uh, yes. Okay. So all of the uh, picks are very good. Danny did a great job. Nothing is wrong. <laughs> yeah. Thank With you. That, yeah. Okay. Uh, oh, oh, shit. No. Okay. Trayvon Walker went 14 <laughs> uh, to the Baltimore Ravens. He is the edge rusher out of Georgia. We talked a lot about this edge class. If there, is, the, the, there are a lot of good athletes in this edge class, in my opinion, the, the most incredible, the craziest, the most impressive is Trayvon Walker out of Georgia. Uh, he is a tweener type, which makes him very difficult to figure out how he plays in the league. But boy, oh boy, 6'5", 275 Twitched. should not move. Uh, the way that he moves. He is awesome. Speaking of Twitch, uh, David Ojabo, the mm -hmm. edge out of Michigan, went 16 to the Philadelphia Eagles. He is 6'5", 250. If you watch Aiden Hutchinson film, and every so often there's another dude that makes a sack, and you're like, oh, who is that yeah, guy? That was yeah. pretty fast. That was pretty impressive. That was David Ojabo. He's also going to go in the first round. He is unbelievable. We talk about high side rushers, outside track rushers. He is extremely impressive in that regard. Devin Lloyd, linebacker out of Utah, went 24 to the Dallas Cowboys. Number one, as an Eagles fan, I continue to love the Cowboys' investment in the linebacker position. This is great. Just extend <laughs> Jalen Smith, extend yeah, yeah. Sean Lee, extend Leighton Van Der Esch, They love to do that. We yeah. need to draft another one. And obviously, the Michael Parsons pick went well. Um, but Devin Lloyd is a player who a lot of people view very, very highly in the linebacker class. They view him as linebacker one. I seem to agree with Danny that I don't love this guy as like a top 16 pick. To me, yeah. he is a, like a, maybe a back half of the first round guy. That's which we're starting right. the Zayvon Collins level of needing development, needing time uh, to figure out exactly how he's going to work. He He's a legit safety convert. He is like maybe 230 right That's now. a good comp That's for him, actually. Very difficult. Yeah. Right? So like, in terms of like their projection, Zayvon was like literally 30 pounds heavier. But in terms of like figuring out how long it's going to take right. for them, like Zayvon timeline is great. And then last but not least, uh, Danny had a center going at eight. And as the resident like football nerd on this podcast, Tyler Lindenbaum, center out of Iowa, wide zone machine. Uh, I'm very happy that we're drafting out here a center in the top 10. And if there's a guy who who warrants it at, at that investment, man, Tyler Linderbaum. Remember Garrett Bradbury a couple years? Uh, came out of NC State, now he's in the do. Vikings. We take Bradbury to slap slap a couple, about 20 pounds on that son of a gun. Yeah, we got a top 10 pick. Really impressive. So I, I have a question for you guys. We actually got an email about this from Brian. And I, I want to read this email because you mentioned Tyler Linderbaum going yep. number eight to get drafted and center system supposed to go that high. I want to read an email from, from Brian. He says... As a Jets fan, I'm intimately familiar with the draft process. <laughs> I think that's funny. Specifically drafting <laughs> in the top 10. Yeah. I understand the concept of positional value. The quarterbacks, edge rushers are going to impact the outcome of games more than safeties or guards. But what I don't understand is this. Teams generally win by having better players. If you could be reasonably certain that a player in the draft is going to be the best or top three or top five at his position, shouldn't they be at the top of the draft board regardless of position? Basically, hypothetically, if you had a crystal ball that tells you that Tyler Linderbaum is probably going to have a 13-year Hall of Fame caliber career at center or make like 10 Pro Bowls, if that kind of career was like almost guaranteed, wouldn't that guy be the number one guy on your board when the other players at edge rusher or quarterback, the positional value positions are not actually as good as they are in other years? So if the crystal ball is telling me Hall of Famer, there's no question. Right. And and that's why when yeah. when uh when teams evaluate, they evaluate on a scale. Usually goes from a five .0 to a nine Ben, why is it a five to a nine I've no freaking idea. Some old scout did it in the thirties and they just never ever change. <laughs> the five to a nine It's like why nobody, we don't have the metric system yeah. in the US. Nobody ever gets graded above an eight 
And when I say that, I don't mean that. What I mean is like only a couple guys per class get an eight, like an eight point or greater, and when they do, everybody freaks out. Like if you remember last year, the Jaguars draft like video came out and their board was kind of like hazily in the background. Like usually they like blur it out. You would kind of see it a little bit and people figured out that Jalen Waddle, because he had a blue uh, color tab next to his name. He was a blue chip prospect. We use that phrase blue chip. He was above an 8.0 for the Jaguars, right? Apparently so was Trevor Lawrence, but like they graded him as, as above an 8.0, which is like perennial pro bowl, perennial all pro going to maybe put together a hall of fame career at his position that gives, gets given out a one or two a year. And yes, if you have one of those guys, you take him. That but even is, in the Hall of Fame, Hall of Very Good. Like yeah. this guy's a Jets fan. So Nick Mangold, who is not going to make the Hall of Fame, Jason Kelsey, who's probably not going to make the Hall of Fame with the Eagles, but just, you know, starts 10, 12 years, anchor your offensive line. If Tyler Linderbaum's like that, but maybe not quite as good as Quentin Nelson, wh- why isn't why is it weird to take a center? Right. So you bring up Nick Mangold, right? Who uh he's a seven-time Pro Bowler, two-time first team all pro dude, right? incredibly good center. He played from 06 to 2016. How successful were the Jets from 06 to 2016? <laughs> not, that, not, what, but that, I mean, they didn't have that AFC championship year. They had the AFC championship, right? They had like the Mark Sanchez thing. And the reality of it is this. It's like you, you need Nick Mangolds to make long runs. There is no doubt about it. You need that. The, the, you need high quality players, pillars around whom you can build your offense and your defense. There's no two ways about that. With that said, players don't get drafted into a vacuum. They get drafted into a hard cap league. And so you have to ask yourself when you are drafting top five, top 10, what are we getting out of this player's rookie contract? Not out of their first three seasons, not out of their rookie. What are we getting out of their rookie contracts? If we get a good center and we're paying him top eight pick money, which is like, you know, low eight figures, like like deep middle eight figures, solid, that's great. If that player is an edge rusher who makes twenty million per year on their second contract, if that player is a corner, a wide receiver, quarterback makes forty million per year on a second contract, we're getting a lot more juice. We're getting a lot more money. We are drawing a lot more value out of that pick, and that's why you see those premium positions get prioritized. Because when you hit the value of paying your top edge rusher six million is way greater than paying your top center six million relative to the market it's like if and this is another question you're going to face with kyle hamilton who is the top safety in this class one of probably the top players in this class talent wise Mm -hmm. as soon as he is drafted he's probably going to be like what like a top five safety in terms of what he's getting paid i can look it up yeah that's just ballpark but like same deal with like a running back like if you draft a running back in the top 10 immediately he's going to be one of the higher paid running backs in the nfl um, and then, so this is like, it's a question of opportunity cost. If you look at it, if you looked at draft picks as all of these are sort of a coin flip, like we, we can believe this guy is going to be a, a superstar at the next level. Um, but there's been so many teams that have been completely wrong on players who are can't, like, quote, can't miss players. I think that's where the idea of positional value comes into play here. It's not just the impact that they can make on a field, but it's like the value you get in that rookie contract that you have to take into account. Plus the rookie contract, or sorry, the contract values, generally speaking, are tied to how the NFL views position value. You could probably sign a top center for nickel, like pennies on the dollar, nickels on the dollar, uh, what you can sign a tackle for. Does that make sense? 
Okay, that does I, make sense. I have a Kyle Hamilton take, but it's for later. It's not for now. We're going <laughs> to say leave it not on as the good table. as you think. If you have more questions, email us at ringerfantasyfootballgmail.com. I know that, that now the show's called NFL Draft Show, but it's like, just keep, we're getting the same email address. Ringerfantasyfootballgmail.com. Email us if you have questions about the draft, more high school senior pranks. I don't know, whatever you want to do. We got a lot of prank emails. We got man. a lot of prank emails. Thank you for the people sending the prank emails. So keep emailing us whatever nonsense you want, questions for Solak and DK. That was actually a really good explanation. I actually uh, maybe, maybe changed my mind there. Let's get to the most important part of the show. Yeah. America's favorite segment. The best segment on any draft show in the entire world. I'm looking which forward is two, to this. Two jargons, one lie, which is Ben Solak is going to give us three pieces of draft jargon, two of which are real, and one of which he has completely made up. And we're going to see if Craig and I can figure out which one's the fake. All right. So far, what is it? It's um, I think Heifetz is two, two and zero, oh. and I'm one for one. I'm I do cover two. the NFL for like my life, so I think I have a little more advantage <laughs> yeah. than Craig. And I like kind of don't, you know. So it's like <laughs> kind of half in. Plays Craig or Craig's playing with a handicap. I said DK's Craig not allowed to play because DK uses the terms. Like DK's used right. the terms. I gotta be honest. Knives. I didn't know Pat the baby or burp the baby. Burp the baby. So, yeah, clearly, so. you didn't know it. Yeah, okay, so like hit know. us. Burp us. We have three today. We have one, cherry flip. <laughs> Two, hands catcher. Cherry flip? Three. Okay. Tight skin. Tight skip? <sighs> tight, skin. tight skin. One, oh, tight cherry skin. flip. Two, hands catcher. Three, tight skin. Okay, I forget the rules every week. We're not, we're not allowed to ask for the, the, like the what definitions, right, Craig? We have Correct. to guess. Yeah. Okay. okay. I, hands catcher is real. Like Odell Beckham is a hands catcher. Like that yeah. is a term. Yeah, it is definitely. Tight Body catcher, skin. Hands catcher. Is that just like a guy who's like fucking jacked? I don't know. <laughs> no, I think. It's, yeah. <laughs> no, I think it's like Cra a skeletal. Craig, like you can I love, see their like, bones. Craig is like a. It's, I love. I would follow a detective show of Craig just trying to learn what terms <laughs> mean. <laughs> uh, cherry flip. I have no idea what that means. <laughs> I guess. I think Cherry tight skin's flip. real. I think tight skin is just like, like there's not much muscle on them. I don't know. Like, I, 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 but like, that's the opposite. More muscle, you'd have tighter skin. <laughs> but like, do you stretching I, the no, tensile strength of the People are like translucent skin. skin when they're super ripped. <laughs> I'm thinking about that that uh, that shirtless pic of DK Metcalf and AJ Brown from their draft cycle. When they clearly like pumped skin. like forty five minutes and took an immediate pick and just looked incredible. <laughs> yeah, you think tight skin means like they're not good at moving? No, what, dude? What does cherry flip mean? I, I have, have no idea. idea I've been trying to think of cherry mean. flip this entire I time. I don't know think. what that means. Is cherry forget football? Is cherry flipping like a thing? Like you like you do the like you flip the pit or something of a cherry? What is a cherry flip? Okay, you guys have to make your guess. You have to make your guess. I think cherry flips fake because I can't even think of what that would mean. I think that's fake too. You're both correct. Uh, yeah. I was watching. I was watching uh, freaking the Olympics this week, and they said cherry flip, which refers to some sort of like a jump or some like sort of like oh, that's transitional fun. thing. Oh, that's great! And so I figured I would grab an Olympics yeah, thing and I would get that in there. I thought I could get you guys with hands catcher and be like, it's so obvious it's not. I thought you were <laughs> right, right. he was ready for it. That is a good uh, hands catcher. Right. Hands catcher as opposed to body catcher. As opposed yeah. to body catcher, right? right? Where do they catch the football? Do they let it get into their frame? Tight skin is as Craig surmised. Uh, when a guy is really well built when he's strapped let's uh, go no oh that's not God. correct that's not correct tight skin as far as i can as far as i understand it, its usage like 
uh, Calvin Ridley, tight, tight skin. He doesn't have much room to put on bulk. Oh. Like his his frame oh. won't allow for bulking season. A light frame. Yeah. So it's like you don't have you don't your frame doesn't have much. Can we fact ability. check this? Oh no no I, no I'm I'm only looking at Danny's NFL draft scouting glossary 2018, and I've always known tight skin to be a guy that like looks like like. Like, like his skin's about like, a rip. Wait, so right. do you think that how <laughs> much like, of like yeah. so obviously half of first round like picks are busts? But if like half of first round picks are busts, how much do you do you think that is because teams are just using these terms and they don't know what they each don't other means? Understand them. Like tight skin, <laughs> and they think it's DK Metcalf. Oh, he's Calvin Ridley. He's like forty pounds less than we. No, I wouldn't. Have, so like, I wouldn't have said that like a guy like Metcalf had tight skin because like it just doesn't like he's just like jacked. Yeah. But to me, like right, like tight skin is a guy where you can already see like very clear definition on their muscles, and I I never took it to the full way where it means like, and that means you probably can't put any more weight on them. Like if you try to add more weight, the yeah, skin actually, will rip. Th- that's probably <laughs> true. I think, I think there, I think both Solak and I are probably correct in certain ways. Like I think what the bottom line is they don't have room to add weight is the thing. It doesn't, ha- it doesn't have to be a skinny guy. In other words, I'm just happy. It actually had something to do with like muscles and like the body. I'm glad it wasn't like, but some it's, other it's euphemism. right. It's a classic draft term where it's like, all right, like just say that he's like filled out his frame. He's got tight yeah, skin. Exactly. That's exactly. just weird, man. Why are you thinking about it like that? That's peculiar. <laughs> going to be walking down the street later. And I'm like, that guy's got loose skin, tight skin. <laughs> Can add more to that frame. My stomach is loose skin right now. If you look I think at it. Yeah. this is one of those things where we were talking about this at the at the Super Bowl. Uh, so like we were just like, how do you tell what? How do you tell if someone is bendy? Like that's kind of like a hard thing to define <laughs> or to see. Like how do you tell if someone has bend? You know, right? How, do they have ankle flexion? Like this, these are the types it of things. It depends that are on where on what joint they're using to bend. Right, and that kind of dictates how they rush. How do you? figure that out on these grainy youtube videos i know and then the other so like related to that my question is like how do you how can you tell if someone has room to add to their frame you know what i mean like that's kind of another hard you look at the skin dk it's like you weren't even listening you just (laughs) look at the skin this is why the senior bowl for many many years had their weight weight their weigh in process visible and open to scouts and media members and we would go and watch these guys you know just in compression shorts and that's it walk across the stage because scouts wanted to see how they carry their weight and how they're built yeah, and it Dude, goes back to like scouting. Is, scouting is so inexact. They want you know to watch I mean? them walk so they can see how they carry their weight. It's not. It's not Dude, about like draft walk. It's about <laughs> like when when they would go get their height measured and their weight measured, they'd be facing directly to the audience, and you could see like how broad their shoulders are, how broad their hips are, and like all right, like they that guy weighs in at three oh seven, and like two other guys are going to weigh in at like three ten and three oh five, but all three of them are going to look different body comp yeah, wise. Yeah, okay, okay. And body comp kind of, stuff. What is going on? It's watching it's them inexact. walk. It's inexact. Yeah, it's, yeah it's, clearly. It oh isn't exact, but man, oh man, like I just wrote that piece about Trey Hendrickson, right? And he like became the star edge rusher out of nowhere. And you go back and you look at what the Saints were talking about in 2018 before he not, he he like exploded. And they were like, yeah, he re- recomped his body. Like he came back and Interesting. he lost no explosiveness, but he's stronger and he's heavier up top. And that's you what know like, why? That's a lot of grits and Gatorade. He, he, no, he loosened his skin. That's what yeah, happened. Absolutely. He, loosened, he went got a loosening skin therapy. Oh, my God. All right, let's get out of here before this goes somewhere bad. All right, thank you, DK. Thank you, Solak. Thank you, Craig. Thank you to everyone who got through the whole tight skin, loose skin thing. My God, that's I'd never want to talk about that ever again. Thank you so much for everyone listening. Email us at NFL Draft. Oh, sorry. Oh, God, almost got the whole thing wrong. That's Email us at ringerfantasyfootballgmail.com. Yeah. Go to nfldraft.theringer.com, which is mm-hmm. where DK's big board is. Go to theringer.com. You can see DK's mock draft. It is up right now. Please, the draft guide, the mock draft, it is just absolutely awesome. You can check it on your phone, mobile, everything. 
And if you can't remember any of the websites, the hyphens just listed out, just go to the show description and click. <laughs> Boom. Bang. Okay. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Most of all, thank you, Lorne. Lorne. Thank you, Dua Lipa. Yes! Yes, TK! Wow! I think it was Heifetz and I. Yeah, you guys. You you love Future Nostalgia, right? Yes. It's like the best pop album in the last five years. It really is. So, check that out. I wanted to to throw out something, and this is going to make me sound like a boomer, which I almost am. Uh, I wanted to throw out something that was like in the same range as like the Olivia Rodrigo. Like, are they like new pop stars that are huge? Do has been around. Do is older, but like okay, but they're like in this it's generation speaking. Yeah, From your I would perspective, say Dua Lipa sure. is closer to millennial, and and oh. Rodrigo is smacked out right, in the Gen middle. Z. She's like seventeen like, years old. Right, she is now. the songbird of Gen Z. Okay, yeah. okay, <laughs> that was very beautiful, Craig. <laughs> Thank you, songbird. Do is twenty six, and Olivia Rodrigo is like seventeen or whatever. Duo was She's at 18, yeah. the game. And I was like, oh, they finally stopped showing celebrities and started showing strangers. And then it came on the screen too. <laughs> and I was like, ah, dang. I still don't know people. <laughs> That's my bad. I should have stayed at home. Because I was doing better alone. Yikes. But when you stay at home. All right, goodbye, everyone. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs>